Son of the Holy Spirit. After the last two talks, which I did, I was thinking about it and thought, which a lot of people said that they that they um, liked, but my thoughts were that what would be always looking at what's the most effective way of getting God's word across, and then I thought that the lives of saints are the best way for that to occur because the lives of saints are the Bible in practice and the saints themselves used to read the lives of saints and it is one of the most powerful um, parts of the Orthodox Church. It is for that reason, with the devil knowing that lives of saints are very powerful, uh, he was successful with the Protestants in basically eliminating saints and lives of saints, etc. And in other religions, somehow distorted to some extent. But in the Orthodox Church, the lives of saints still remains for many. The One of the um, main foundations of the Orthodox faith. Without the lives of saints, really you cannot lead a Christian Orthodox life. It is like the Protestants which hold the Bible, each holds the Bible, but they all interpret it in a different way because they haven't got tradition, and it's in particular the lives of saints which help explain the Bible. So in the Orthodox Church, we need that. We need the lives of saints. So looking on what type of saint to read, I came across one, I read it a little bit, and I actually really liked it. It's the Holy New Martyr, Constantine, the former Turk. Um, he was actually Muslim, and then he became Orthodox. And some would say that maybe that doesn't happen much anymore, but in point of actual fact, there are many conversions of Muslims to Orthodoxy. For example, after that school shooting in Beslan in Russia, Many of the Muslims in the area converted and they actually are baptizing quite a lot of them. And then there's also, I think, in uh, Georgia, Indonesia, which is really heavy, a very um, strict uh, Muslim country, 
there's a priest who's actually under our church, uh, Archimandrite Daniel, and he has converted, I think, two and a half thousand there. And that's really difficult in the times that we live in to be an Orthodox Christian there. But also I read that there are many uh, who are actually leading Christian lives, but secretly because of the fear of being killed uh, or persecuted in many countries. Also, when I was in Jerusalem, the Greeks there would say that there are many Jewish people who are actually secret Christians. And um, there were some other ones that I read. There was Georgia, I think, and there was another country... um, Oh, I can't remember. Anyway, the um, oh, got it here for you. Memory doesn't serve much anymore, so I brought it with me. And there's uh, Albania, Bulgaria. There's um, conversion of uh, Muslims there too, and in and in Russia, some areas of Russia, especially that one that I said there, of um, Beslan. So, quite quite a lot. Uh, Converting Now, there's a difference when there's a conversion, when you're being threatened. So many Greek Orthodox, Serbian Orthodox, Romanian Orthodox, Bulgarian Orthodox, a lot of people who were under Turkish uh, domination there, they actually are converted because of fear, because of convenience, etc. In many of these cases, like for example in Indonesia, why would someone convert to Christianity when it's dangerous. They're not really converting for convenience. They're actually going into inconvenience. They're going into what's in, into danger. So let's read now, and you'll see what I mean, that we will learn quite a lot from reading this Holy New Martyr Constantine the Turk. I'll read a little bit, and I'll explain as I go. St. Constantine was a Turk, born and raised on the island of Lesbos, which is Mytilene, in the late 18th century, 18th century in the 1700s, 1790, around there. Now, it's interesting, I just have a little point on the Lesbos, that a lot of people believe that this island was dominated by lesbians. And I just did a little bit of um, reading on that because of of the myth. And actually, it was some type of ancient poet that used to live there before BC, who wrote a letter to another woman expressing her love, which people manipulate, and they, and they tried to make out from that 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 was the first homosexual love, and from that we get um, scores of lesbians that run that go over to Lesbos because it's symbolic of their of what they're doing. But that's of course is a myth. So Lesbos is a, a, a Greek island, and his Turkish name is unknown. Sometimes we have it, like we have New Martyr Ahmed, we have New Martyr. There's all these different martyrs which we still recall them by their Muslim name, even though they were given baptismal names, just so that it can be shown that they were what they were. But in this case, we don't have it. It's not written in the history. His Turkish name is unknown. Therefore, he will be referred to by his future baptismal name, Constantine. He was given the name Constantine when he was baptised. And we'll see now the struggles that he had to become baptised. Lesbos belonged to the Byzantine Empire. So many of you know that the Byzantine Empire was an orthodox empire. It um, crossed over many countries. And slowly, slowly, 
the Orthodox, due to their sins, due to slackness, began to lose a lot of their areas. God allowed them to lose a lot of their provinces and things like that, and it, they will fall into these Ottoman Turks. Now, we know that the Byzantine Empire fell in 1453. Lesbos fell to the Turks in 1462, about um, seven, nine years later. Probably they couldn't get to it because it was an island. It would have been harder for them to get to it as they would have been able in the mainland. So from infancy, the saint showed signs of divine favour and he would feed his mother's breast only once a day and never cried. Now, some people who are a little bit fanatical or some people that take things literally would say, oh, how can God show favour to someone who's not orthodox? Because people have a... um, like a bit of like a sectarian mentality that God only gives his gifts to the orthodox or God only looks on the orthodox and all the rest he doesn't care about. There's no, there's no favours towards them. And this is actually wrong. And if you teach your children that, you're actually teaching them fanaticism and hate because, as it says, God makes his light and, and, and rains down on all people those who believe and even those who don't believe. So in this case, there was something special about this child in that he only would feed at his mother's breast once a day and he never cried. By the age of 15, he had grown into a very handsome youth. Now, I like the stress on the handsome youth because it's a handsome youth or it's a beautiful girl. Therefore, the roads are open to many types of temptations. And in this case, he, because he was handsome, he could have had opportunities in the, in the world to do his sins, whatever he wanted. But God chose at this time of his life to... to um, send a certain temptation onto him as a way to bring him to himself. God, however, known his heart, allowed him a very serious temptation in order to prepare him for the heavenly kingdom. Now, the devil put into his heart, into the heart of an evil woman the desire to harm the youth. This woman, out of the blue, just like that, um, she was tempted. Some people say silly things like, oh, God, God put the thought. God doesn't tempt He may allow temptation for his own reasons that he knows, but we can't say that God makes someone sin and we can't say that God does evil. God never, ever does evil. This woman chose to do this evil deed that she had in her heart. That is, she wanted to harm this child, this boy. Why? Now, present-day you know, forensic psychologists and psychiatrists and doctors and all this, they are uh, discussing this thing about serial killers and people that do evil and, and, you know, they say, oh, it's a brain, like the one that killed those poor students in the Virginia Tech in America, about 33, I think he killed, and they're trying to, some are saying um, he was mentally ill But my question is, how come the one who's also mentally ill 
down the street doesn't go and do it. Why does he do it? You know, they say, oh, he was bipolar. I don't know what they say. He was so depressed. And why doesn't the other depressed person go and kill people? And some people are starting to go back, as I said last time, to the concept of evil. Because psychiatry don't, don't like that evil. They don't like devil and God and all these type of things. They like to explain things uh, biologically. But we have to really realise that there are some people that are sick, but the majority choose to do what they do. They use their free will to do evil. And you can't blame some brain problem. For example, serial killers. They kill and kill and kill, but they've got no pain of conscience. And the doctors try to explain that and say, oh, their brain is such that they don't have a conscience. That, I don't think that's true. That's not um, correct. And that's why some people are starting to return and say they are evil. They are evil people. And even, you know, judges and lawyers and people like that, they're starting to say it's the only explanation that these people are evil. If you try and find medical reasons for someone going... I mean, a, men a mentally ill person is dysfunctional. A mentally ill person can't do a lot of things. They can't even function in life. But these serial killers are organised, highly intelligent... They, they evade the police, they, they leave clues on purpose, they toy with the police, they toy with the, um, the news, they, you know, things like that. These people, you cannot say, are dysfunctional people. So I think we have to be very careful. This woman was an evil woman, as the life says, and she had a desire to harm the youth. Why? It doesn't really matter. We're not going to go and... Like these people say, we have to study the mind of the serial killer, the serial rapist. We have to study this, that, that. The main thing is these people choose what they choose. And to try and make a disease up for the sake of it, some part of their brain is underdeveloped and one part of it is overdeveloped and this part which functions for conscience and now oh, it's too much. So uh, she went to his mother, the evil woman, and asked that she be permitted to take... Constantine on a walk. During the walk, she gave him a sweet which she had prepared herself. That doesn't say whether the sweet had anything done to it. Remember that Turks were very much into magic and the Greeks actually learnt a lot of that stuff from them. Not that Greeks didn't have their own back baggage from their own times, but uh, in the Orthodox Church, it's forbidden. These practices of magic and coffees, coffee reading and blue eyes and whatever other eyes and all these type of things, they're forbidden in the Orthodox Church. And people would be a little bit scared, even though they still do. But a lot of it, when the Turks took over large parts of the Byzantine Empire, they took over Greece, Albania, Serbia, Romania, Bulgaria... Hungary, uh, Northern Africa, Arabia, parts of Arabia, Iraq, um, 
yeah, all, a lot of a lot, a lot of a lot of people started to become confused in their Christianity, like a lot of people today that live in these times. We live in a in a society which isn't very religious, and people becoming confused. Well, in the same way, uh, in the days of the Turkish um, Empire, there the Ottoman Empire, the Orthodox were got very much confused. They started to dabble in this type of stuff. Anyway, this woman obviously was into it. And um, after he ate it, he began to experience difficulty with his vision and arriving home began to, f- to feel severe pain. Now, it doesn't mean we'll get people that we don't take things literally, that as soon as you have a blurry vision or a pain, that means that someone's done magic on you because that's silly. There's other symptoms which accompany people that have had these things done to them. And unfortunately, there is a lot of confusion where even some clergy, they get confused and they think that's magic and that's magic. And there's other clergy which say, oh, that don't worry, that's no such thing or those things don't hardly happen and there's no magic there, there's no magic there. We have to have a balance. And I would like to like do a talk on that one day, like on that. The Life of St. Cyprian and Justina, if you want to read it, which they sell downstairs, they, that one there is a very good life to... Um, get more information but for the time being so I won't spoil the story we will continue on he also so his mother cried bitterly not knowing what had happened to her son he also contracted smallpox and consequently he became blind his mother in despair from seeing his grave condition expected him to die at any moment obviously he from for her to be like that he was extremely extremely sick and it's true that some people that have had these things done on them, they go to doctor after doctor and psychiatrist after psychiatrist and they can't find anything wrong with them. And as I said, together with some other symptoms like not liking holy things and um, uh, not um, liking to confess, not liking to commune, there are signs which accompany people that have had these things done on them. During this most terrible trial, um, which lasted three years, the youth endured suffering courageously. So he was being ripped apart, as one can say. And I have seen people that are, have been influenced like that, unless you read about it a lot, especially in Greece, where they seem to manifest themselves more because Greece is a very strong Orthodox country, or Orthodox countries are strong. These people seem to, when they go to church, they comes out of them a lot like it um, shows that they've got influence on them and um, while here the influence is there but people don't really show it because not many people approach holies or don't approach the holies in a serious way because someone can go to church and I remember once I heard a talk where it was a, a priest and he was reading some exorcisms of a group of people and suddenly someone there were a lot of sick people he was reading them. And there was one person in the audience that, were, that came to look. And all of a sudden, he started going um, crazy. And um, he didn't even know that he had, he had it on him. And what happens is that when someone becomes serious of coming close to the church, coming close to God, that's when the devil becomes fee- fearful. He, do- he doesn't like that. And that's when the person can show that he has problems. So someone can go to church. It doesn't necessarily mean that they've got nothing wrong with them. 
It's when they start. Start for an example, when people ring me sometimes or people ask me questions, they go, I had this thing happen to me in the night. Some phenomena happened to me. Um, something fell on me or I couldn't breathe, or I couldn't move in the night, whatever. And the first question I ask, I, have you increased your interest in religious things lately? I go, yes, I've actually started to pray more and so that. And I say, well, that's the reason. I usually get it right. As soon as someone starts in a more serious way to go towards Christ, then the temptations begin. Anyway, this person, um, this was allowed by God. And not every person who becomes possessed or becomes under the influence of magic, it's a tragedy because a lot of times these people become very, very faithful, orthodox Christians. Mary Magdalene, so Mary Magdalene was possessed by seven demons. She became equal to the apostles, you know, so things like that. We don't have to think that everything's devastating. God can allow things and everything can come out for the good if we look for God's hand in our life. Where is he leading us? So in this case, let's see if Constantine recognizes God's hand in his life. So he became sick. He was sick for three years. God enlightened a very pious Orthodox woman, woman to visit the youth and his mother and to encourage them in their difficult time. Isn't that a bit strange that a, an Orthodox woman is going to a Muslim household to encourage some Muslims? I mean, she didn't know that um, uh, this, this woman didn't know that God had is, was helping this the uh, Constantine to come towards the church. She didn't know that. And it's, you know, people think, oh, Muslims and Christians have always been, you know, hating each other. But, you know, even if you go, uh, from what I've heard in Serbia, where there's a lot of Muslims in Kosovo and up the top in Boston, and that I've heard that before these problems happened in the 90s and now, that the Muslims and the Christians used to live, neighbours, be friendly with each other. It wasn't like we think. And in the New Testament... In the epistles, there are many references to our association with others. Yes, it does say, what have we got to do? What's light got to do with darkness, etc., etc.? However, it also, if you read that and you read the history of the church, read the New Testament and the history of the church tradition, you'll see that many pagans converted to orthodoxy through the examples and love of the Christians because that many times in the empire, the Roman Empire, which was pagan, Christians were being persecuted. Not always. Sometimes it was a bit, depends on who the governor was. Sometimes it was a little bit better. They could actually build a church here and there during the first three centuries. But most of the time they were being persecuted. As I said, depends on the emperor, depends on the governor and all that. So many times there would be plagues, diseases. And people would begin to leave so they won't become um, um, diseased. But the Orthodox Christians of those times wouldn't leave. They would stay behind and help fellow Christians that were sick, but also help a large number of pagans, people who did not believe in Christ, people who were idolaters, people who believed in idols. And the Orthodox would nurse them and help them. And it is through this example that many pagans came to 
Orthodox Christianity. Now, you might say um, that the Orthodox... See, there's a difference when someone does a good deed to someone to expect to convert them, which I find that repulsive, while when a person does a good deed and helps someone, say a non-Christian or a non-Orthodox or whoever, and just helps them for the sake of helping them out of love, you help the other person. Not because, ah, oh, if I help this person, he'll convert and that will be a point to me that I converted someone. That didn't exist for them. For them, it was someone suffering, you help them. Not because you expect to convert them. That is not healthy in a Christian life. So that's what happened in the old days. And this is, this is what's happening here. People lived side by side, Turks, Turkish Muslims, with Orthodox Christians, and the woman came to visit. Obviously, she was a neighbour, and obviously they had a relationship. Because, you know, people read things in, sometimes they read things in the Bible, or read things, they go, oh, they're devils, oh, they're satanic, oh, they're this, and they're that, and this, and we can't keep away, and bad, and javelis, and all the rest that we say. But the thing is that that's not how, that's why it's important to read the lives of saints. Because it's through the lives of saints, by looking at these examples, that we understand exactly what is going on. I mean, this is just one life of saints. You've got to read more and more and more and more and see. Like uh, Orthodox patriarchs and bishops who, during the Turkish time, were um, friendly with Turks and would go and eat with them. And the Turks used to respect a lot of Orthodox Christians. And vice versa, Orthodox Christians would, would respect them as well. But their religion was separate. So, so the woman offered to take Constantine to a holy spring and wash him with holy water, convinced that he would be healed. Such was her faith. Obviously, it's an, uh, Lesbos was prior was an uh, Orthodox country, uh, an Orthodox, belonged to the Orthodox Empire. And there was shrines there, saints, icons, holy springs. This woman decided to alleviate, not to convert, to alleviate his suffering. That's very important. If you don't live with much today, at least leave with that. To alleviate. You can't see someone suffering and start to say, uh, that's, he's orthodox, he's Christian, he's pagan, he's this, he's that. You know, it doesn't, we, when we see someone suffering, our heart should be, pained and want to alleviate the suffering of that person, expecting nothing in return. So this woman obviously did that, and um, she had that faith. The mother, although she was Muslim, agreed. Now, this is interesting because I actually experienced it. When I was in 1991 in Kosovo for around, I lived there five, six months, I think, in a monastery, I couldn't tell the difference in their clothes. I used to get confused who was Orthodox, who was Christian. I think they used to dress quite similar. Who was, sorry, Orthodox and who was um, Muslims. There was also Catholics there. And um, when I was at the monastery, these groups of people would come in often. And I'd say to the other monks there, what, what are they? Are they from the village? Are they Orthodox? I said, no, they're Muslims. But what are they doing here? Um, are they come to ask prayers because um, either they're women can't have babies or someone's going to die or something. They actually came to the monastery which I was staying at, which was Saints Cosmos and Damien, which is especially for healing. These Muslims would come, not just one or two here and there, 
I, I thought it was nearly every day I would see Muslims come there. The priest doesn't wear his pretorini um, because he can't conduct services, but he can bless them with the relics and he would make some type of prayer for them. And they knew that they couldn't go to their own, but they would come to the Orthodox churches or monasteries. They respect, they have a lot of on and off in the same way we do, for the Mother of God. They have, um, um, they love St. George, the Muslims, and things like that. But not in the way that we believe in the saints, but they know at least on a lower level that these, that the Orthodox saints can help them. So they would come often to there. So it's the same thing here. Uh, this woman probably knew the tradition that a lot of Muslims do. You know, especially I've heard that they go a lot when their women can't give birth or their women can't even get pregnant. And they would come to the, to the Orthodox monasteries for prayers. And uh, the mother, oh, yes, I've read that. Therefore, therefore, this pious woman took the young man to an, Orthodox, to an Orthodox Holy Spring. And after she washed him in the spring, oh, the miracle, he was healed of his blindness because he became blind. So the miracle occurred. Does it mean miracles occur continue? All the, always? No. People can go to the relics of saints or to a spring. They can go to Mount Athos. They can go to Jerusalem. They can go to the holy tomb of Christ. They can go to the spot where Christ was crucified. They can pray. It doesn't mean that they're going to be healed. It depends whether God um, thinks that that will be good for you. But even if you don't get healed, there's something that happens within you. And in this case, yes, he got healed of his physical infirmity. Some people just get healed of their spiritual infirmity. Some people get healed of both. Or, yeah, some people just get healed and they don't even change, but they will give word. By, um, by God's providence, all that remained was a slight drooping of his eyelids. Just a little reminder that his, just his eyelids would droop, and that would be a reminder of what he had, again, by God's providence. On returning home, his mother rejoiced and glorified God for healing her son. The saint's stepfather, because his father had died a year before, so his mum married someone else, another, another Turkish man, moved his family to the city of Magnesia, which is in uh, Anatolia, which is present-day Turkey. It's a very big area called Anatolia, and that's in present-day Turkey. That was part, that used to be part of the Byzantine Empire until they took over. And, but his, his stepfather, as is usual, a lot of times this does happen, he used to beat his children. And that's why people have to be very, very careful when they remarried. I mean, this is, of course, we talk about Muslims, but as Orthodox Christians, yes, you're allowed to remarry, second marriage or third marriage, depending on the circumstances. But, you know, a lot of times, say, if it's a woman, she looks at her own needs and not really the needs of the child to see whether this person she's going to bring in is going to do harm to the child uh, with uh, abuse of the type that you know physical abuse and sexual abuse, um, we've got to be very, very, very careful. That's why we need a lot of help from God to enlighten, in the case of women or men, if they're going to go into a second marriage, whether the person that they are choosing will be beneficial and for them and for their children. So the stepfather used to beat them because he was drunk. He used to get drunk. Now, another thing which is interesting here because remember, it's holding you martyr Constantine, so obviously he, at the end, he martyred. 
that out of this abusive situation, he became a saint. Because a lot of people, um, not because of chemical imbalances, but just because of woe to me and what happened to me and when we were young, we were poor, or when I was young, I used to be hit, or when I was young, that happened, or this happened, and I was in a war. Or There's a lot of reasons that people suffer. That's without a doubt. Like, look at people that have gone through, um, that have been in, in, in um, part of wars, or people who have lost their mother young, all these situations. These people suffer 100%. And the hospitals today are full of those type of people who keep on going, woe to me, woe to me, woe to me. But that's why when you read the lives of saints, you will see so many examples of saints who were abused, saints who were born to prostitutes, saints who were abandoned by their parents or mother or father, saints who saw their parents being slaughtered in front of them, etc. What are you going to say? Oh, they're saints that didn't get affected. They did get affected. They did get affected. Psychological scars don't leave very easily because we enter the spiritual life. The spiritual life helps us to endure them and use them for our good. It helps us to have humility. There's a lot of good that can come out of these scars. We Obviously, we don't go and subject our children to go and have psychological scars so they can be they can turn out to be a saint. That's silly. And you will give word if, if you cause any psychological scars to your children. Big word. However, I'm saying, if it's happened, it doesn't mean that because a boy, when he was young, his father never gave him any notice, or the girl was put down by her mum, or, or, or whatever, that that means that we are finished in life. And this example, and many others that you'll read in the future, hopefully, you will see that there are many examples of the um, saints who were abused and went through a lot of trauma. So this particular boy, not only did he go through that horrible sickness of three years, but on top of that, he was abused by his bestial stepfather, a drunk. Unable to endure this any longer, the mother and her three children left and moved to Smyrna, which is also part of Turkey now. It used to be part of the Byzantine Empire. I think it was Asia Minor. Well, I've got a feeling on the West Coast. And many Greeks were there until 1920s when there was the exchange, but that's another story. In Smyrna, Constantine's brother was hired by a greengrocer to deliver vegetables. So his brother became, um, he used to deliver, and Constantine used to help him. One of the greengrocer's customers was an orthodox bishop of that city. And so the saint would help his brother and deliver vegetables to this, to the church, to the main church there of Zmidna, where the orthodox bishop was. So this is providence. You see, God works in mysterious ways. All has a purpose. So here... Constantine would listen to the word of God. So as he would go and deliver, he might have been waiting in the front part of the church while the service was on, and he would sit there and he would listen somehow, whatever. And then, and slowly, slowly, from looking at the, the, of the Orthodox Christians' examples, 
Of course, keeping in mind that he got better from the spring, the orthodox spring there. And, and I don't know really, um, I think he must have learned, as it says, he would often ask an elder to read orthodox books to him. He concentrated on everything being read such that his heart became inflamed with love for Christ. During this time, he also learned Greek, which later... Were, because he was having a lot of contact with the Greeks, slowly, slowly, he obviously began to learn the Greek uh, language. And from that, that would prove useful in the future, which we'll see later on. Because a lot of these people, you know, like um, I know my plumber, for example, he, um, he's, he was born in Turkey. And his mum knows Turkish better than Turks. So I think they used to learn each other's languages and things like that as well. But God, in his wisdom, allowed more trials to further prepare the young man for his martyrdom. So it wasn't enough that he got sick for three years. It wasn't enough that he was abused by his stepfather. Now we're going to see more. The city of Smyrna was struck by a plague, and the young man went to, the, to church to offer a candle to the holy great martyr George, as I told you before. Muslims have this love towards St. George, asking that he be protected. Uh, I don't know if you're aware, but um, the religion of Islam is actually, um, there's a part of it, Muhammad, when he was developing his religion, because he made it up, he took something from the Old Testament, from the Jewish religion, and he took things from the Orthodox religion. For example, circumcision is from the Jewish religion. Not eating pork is from the Jewish religion. And certain things of the Christian religion. And if you actually see, if you hear Muslims when they chant, they chant very similar to us. That people want to say, oh, we got it from them. No, no. Obviously, Orthodox chanting was from the beginning, from the first century. The They actually copied quite a lot of of the architecture, um, religious art, and the singing. I remember once when I was in Jerusalem and um, I heard this chanting. I go, oh, it must be an Orthodox church somewhere close. I go, it sounds like... Um, so I started walking towards and I came to a mosque. So from there I realised that I made a mistake, but it shows that this, 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 this um, similarity... And I had one of my, the computer fellow that comes to fix up the computer that I've got, and he's Muslim, and uh, we had to test it to make sure the speakers work, so I played, I had to find something which is like something on a website, so I clicked onto a Serbian website, uh, Decheny there, and I clicked on so we can hear some changes, so I can text the speakers, and I said to the uh, technician there, Muslim fellow, I said to him, um, is yours similar to ours? And he goes, yeah, yeah, but we don't use musical instruments. And that was interesting because the Orthodox chanting is so beautiful that he, it actually sounds like there's musical instruments being used, but there's none. He actually heard a men's choir, and when he heard it, it was so beautiful, he thought that there was musical instruments being used. He goes, no, we don't use musical instruments. That's fully just people singing. So there are similarities there. They recognise Christ as a prophet. They recognise um, Abraham and Noah and um, all these earlier prophets. But they only believe that their 
that they were incomplete and that Muhammad was the one who gave the final complete revelation of what is God's word in the Quran. Without being blasphemous, you hear people say, I believe Christ was a good man. And others like themselves say, oh, we believe that Christ was a prophet. My question is, which I often think, and I just can't understand how these people say these things, is that a prophet is a, a man of God. And a good teacher is someone who does good. Because we've got philosophers that say Christ was a good teacher, and others say that, and others will say, oh, yeah, he was a, a prophet, like in the, the, in, in, the, in the Muslim religion. My question is, if this is so, how do you recognize someone who says, I am the truth, I am the life, I am the way, if, some, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father, because the Father and I are one, making himself equal to God, it's to me ridiculous that they actually sit there and say, it is the Muslims or others as well, um, atheists, no, he was not God, he was a good teacher. Uh, uh, um, a marvellous teacher because he, was, he brought a lot of morals into the world and he split time in half, BC, AD, right, all these things. He was, he was great. But how can he be great? Because a person to say that, he's either deranged or he's saying the truth. If he's deranged, then you mustn't recognise him as a prophet what prophet in the Old Testament said bad things? Or what good teacher in the world would say such a thing? So we, we either, they, not us, because we, we believe in Christ as perfect God, perfect man, one of the Holy Trinity. If they think he's a prophet or if they think he's a teacher, then they are mad, they are deluded. Because you can't recognise someone who says that they are equal to God. And that, why do they say it? Because in the case of the, the, case of the um, Muslims, um, if they rejected Christ com completely, there's no way they would be able to convert Christians. And if the philosophers or these other people say that he's not a good teacher, people would go against so it's like a compromise, ridiculous that it is, satanic actually, where it's a good way not to make too many people upset. And how do people believe? Even orthodox people say, oh yeah, he was a good teacher. You cannot be a good teacher if you make yourself equal to God. And this is where it all becomes confused because Christ was not a good teacher and or was he a prophet as such as they say but he was true God of true God begotten not made being of one essence with the father through all things were made in other words uh, God uh, sorry Christ created the world the angels man etc. Through whom all things were made and who for us men and our salvation came down from heavens and was incarnate. That's it. 
That's what Christ taught, that he came down from heaven and he took on human flesh from the, from the Virgin Mary and became man. And this is what his teaching is. And for to say he's a good man or he's a good prophet or whatever is silly. And therefore, that is out of the question for them. But of course, they've got their purpose. So we go on. He went to St. George and St. George heard the prayer of the blessed youth. And there are many people who go into Orthodox churches today. People that might not even believe. And they pray. Or they might even go into a Catholic church. God does not keep his blessings away from people. He gives and he has his reasons to who he gives, why he gives, when he gives, etc. And it's not for our business to say. Of course, there are false miracles, and that will, that will come later on. We'll talk about that. This was not difficult. Mm-hmm. The devil, seeing the youth drawing closer to Christ, as I said before, uh, tempted him in order to lead him into sin. So as soon as someone starts to go towards the church, then suddenly there are infinite number of temptations to stop the person. What's the best temptation? Sin. Because sin blinds us, spiritually blinds us. So the devil knows this and therefore he fell on him with all his might in any way that he could to make him fall into into sin. Obviously, perhaps he was 15, probably hadn't even done anything as yet, and then he was 18, three years later he was sick. So to say to fall into sin, it looks like even as a, as a Muslim youth, he did not commit fornications, other things. This was not difficult as the devil had on his side the saint's youth, which is especially inclined to carnal passions. That's what it says in the Old Testament as well, that the youth are inclined to sin. From my youth, somewhere along the matins, Whatever. It's from my youth, am I you know, subjected to passions, etc. So, for, uh, and what happened? Forgetting the miraculous healing of his blindness at the spring, forgetting the holy words that he heard at the church, forgetting what was read to him and possibly what he read himself, as well as forgetting the miracle of St. George, which helped him not to become sick during the plague in Zemidana. Uh, what happened? The youth plunged into a life of sin with no regard for all, for God's commandments. And this does happen even to young people who have been brought up in the church. Suddenly, they just go their way and start leading a, a, um, a horrible life. Even though I do question that the upbringing, I don't think, was fully correct. Because a lot of times, we can think that we are helping our children and we're keeping them. They go to Sunday school, which is Protestant, and they go to, um, uh, because Sunday school is just just because you get scandalised, never existed in the Orthodox Church. It only came about in America in the 1940s, around there, which was based on Protestant church life. Orthodox don't have this thing. You don't read in the lives of saints um, this thing of Sunday school. Uh, children that are very young don't need to be taught. They're taught through example. They're taught through the partaking of the mysteries of Christ by being present in church. In many churches I won't mention, they actually take the children out during the liturgy to go and teach them religion. And then they wonder why those children um, become apostates when they grow up because they've never familiarised themselves. They've never tasted of the grace which comes 
in the divine services, and that's why I said it's Protestant. So the, uh, we can think that um, we are doing good for our children in, these, in, in, in certain things, but we've got to be careful because sometimes we're not. For example, we, we, um, we send our children, as we say, some people send their children to the Sunday school, they take them to church, and they do a little bit of prayers at home, this and that, and, and then for the other five or six hours of the day, they're watching the TV and the videos and the DVDs and things like that. And you kind of, you're putting to the child some, um, the grace, some, some beautiful things, virtues, and another time then you're putting in poison. And of course, when you're exposing your child to religious things for half an hour, an hour a week, and then, or whatever, two hours, but then they're being exposed to the schools and to the other things for hours and hours and hours, that child is going to grow up not to be extremely religious. And that's why people say, but I had them in church from young. Now, there are, of course, some examples where children uh, were brought up in a really spiritual environment and then they still left the church. But those people, those type of kids, they always have within themselves memories of their, of their spiritual life, the feelings they used to have, and just about all of them return. But what concerns me is the parents that say to me, but my child has no interest and now it's grown up, it doesn't go to church. It used to be a papadaki, used to go to church and be an altar boy, and it did this and it did that. Well, there's something wrong there. So we will go, so don't become scandalized and start thinking that something's wrong, something's wrong with me. As time goes on, you know, you should never reject something. You can question it, but don't reject it as yet until you hear more and as time goes on, and especially praying for God to enlighten you. We can hear things, we can read things, and we just don't understand. And most people that go crazy, they go, oh, I don't understand that, and they just go crazy. No, it must be wrong, because you don't understand it. So, you know, don't catch a bus because you don't understand how the diesel engine works. This, the saint, using the free will given him by God, fell into sin. Forgetting, yes, we got that. But the merciful and loving God, not wanting the young man's soul to be lost, enlightened him, enlightened him to understand the depths of sin in which he had fallen. God always tries to bring those who have fallen away, and all of us actually, because we all sin, but especially those who have completely um, gone off. Gone off. God's always there trying to help the person through the conscience. And remember... We're not the only ones with conscience because we're orthodox because St. Paul says everyone has a conscience and in everyone's conscience is the word of God. That's why St. Paul says, how do we explain that those who don't know the gospel, those who don't know about the Christian faith are actually doing the commandments because it's built in us. So everyone's got a conscience. However, the closer you come to the church, the more you read, the more you participate in church life, your conscience becomes more and more sensitive. I mean, we cannot doubt that there are people, for example, who go and help orphans. They're not Christians, a lot of them. Some of them are even atheists. Or people who go and help the poor. It doesn't mean that um, it's all worthless. Because remember, in today's epistle reading for the church calendar... It's the, uh, yesterday and today was the um, Cornelius, who was, was it Cornelius? Yeah, who was the, um, he was a pagan, 
and God enlightened St. Peter to go because God said that his deeds that he was doing, God was taking notice of them. You read it in the, um, the, the story there and that he wanted to now bring him closer to the faith. So he wasn't ignored the fact that he was doing good deeds. And why was he doing good deeds? Because that's what his conscience says. Do you know about Christianity? No. His, his heart, whether you're Muslim or whether pagan or whether other religions or Catholic or whatever, Protestants, the conscience is still there. Some of it, it's sense, some, for some people it's more sensitive and some people it's a bit dull and some people just reject it. The ones that reject their conscience, whether Orthodox, whether Muslim, whether Buddhist, whether this, anyone who rejects their conscience, they are the ones who will be condemned on the last day. It's the rejection of the conscience which is hell. Because hell is a spiritual condition. And a lot of people, and you know what I think, people say, oh, they're Muslim and they're not with Christ and they're this and they're heretics and they're that and this and that and Protestants and I don't know, it just goes on and on. However, yes, we can make observations of certain things. However, you know who is the worst? The worst on earth. The worst person. The one who will be the deepest in hell. Because remember, the saints had visions of hell and saw pagans in hell, for example, and, the, and they were in flames. And then uh, the saints said, you know, like, what's happening? Then this guy goes, it's very bad for us. But under us, there are Orthodox bishops and priests and Orthodox Christians that are under us. And one of them said, I'm actually standing on the shoulders of the head of an Orthodox bishop, deeper in hell. So what's the worst? The worst that can exist is an Orthodox Christian who goes against his conscience. And the more sensitive our conscience is because we have led a spiritual life or because we've read books or because we have been enlightened and baptized, etc., the more we are in that type of state and we go against our conscience, we will be the deepest in hell below all the others as we think that everyone else is going to go to hell and we're going to be safe because we're orthodox. And, and of course, the worst, of course, are patriarchs and bishops and priests and monks and nuns and all those people that are participating in an orthodox life who read the books continually and who do those things, they're going against their conscience, they will be the worst of them all. So don't be, let's not be too busy looking at whether that Muslim is going to be saved or whether that Buddhist is going to go to heaven or whether that or whether that. And that's why St. Paisius the Great, when he asked Christ that question, what's going to happen to the rest? And Christ said to him, what's it your business? That's, not, that's none of your business. You have to know one thing. This is what Christ said to St. Paisius when he was wondering, what's going to happen to the others? He goes, I love them. I will bring them. I will help them. That they're, under, they're under me. What you have to know, and, what, and, 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 in, and in turn what we have to know, is that if we as Orthodox Christians go against our conscience, not, do, do not repent for what we've done, if we leave the Orthodox Church, then we will go to hell. When it says, 
Outside the church, there is no salvation. People go, oh, outside the church, there's no salvation. That means all the rest that are not orthodox, there's no salvation. But that's not what it means. That statement, that teaching of the orthodox church, didn't apply, was not meaning them. It was, talk, it, it was referring to us that we as orthodox Christians, if we leave the church, we won't be saved. That's what it is. As for the rest, what happens? Everyone, everyone that I've read, it says that they will be judged according to their conscience. And let's look at one thing today. You have to feel sorry that some people are really finding it hard to find Christianity and Orthodox Christianity, especially because of the, the horrible examples that exist. There are hardly no really good examples. And that's why a lot of people don't come. So that will be to their... That would be easier for them on the day of judgment when a, a, a non-Orthodox person or, or a, you know, even a, a, non a non-Christian, let's just say, or even a Christian person, a Catholic or a Protestant, when, they, when the time comes to be judged, they will be judged according to their conscience. And what will, what will actually help them will be our bad example. And our bad example will make us to go lower than them if they, of course, are going against their conscience. Because some people... Like might be a Catholic, reads the Bible, reads whatever they do. However, they are going, they are going according to their conscience, to their understanding. Are they going against their conscience? They will give word. They don't go against against their conscience. Then God will look at them in a different way to what we think. Forget about this business of looking at others and who's going to be saved and who's not going to be saved. Look at ourselves. Because that's what is demanded of us. So, uh, the young costume. So, what did Saint? Co so, what did the um, young Constantine do? He came to his senses. He he heard God's um, uh, God's voice in his conscience, telling him to stop, and he did. And he decided to leave the city of Smyrna. And to go to Manathos. Yeah, that was his decision. He decided to go to Manathos. During his journey, now let's look at the temptation. This is a very interesting one. He encountered on the boat an argumentative and troublemaking monk who stole his food. Now, this monk, an orthodox monk, stole his food. Now, there are people who have not a very good understanding of orthodox spirituality and they believe that. Either they believe all monks are holy and all priests are holy and all bishops are holy and all funny type of um, Western type of ideas of this holy thing which is there, but it's, that's not how it is. Uh, they are all struggling Orthodox Christians. In this case, this person, for whatever reason, he had really gone off. And, um, and you'll see in a minute what happened. On discovering that it was the monk, Constantine confronted him. So I went up to him and says, I want my food back. The devil, being a spirit, revealed the saint's intention to the monk. What does that mean? The devil, being a spirit, revealed the saint's intention to the monk. What was his intention? He was going to Manathos to be baptized, obviously. And then what it says here is, the monk then exclaimed, said, Do you think that I don't know your thoughts? The monk said. 
Are you not contemplating becoming a Christian even though you are a Muslim? But how did he know that? How did the monk know what he was intending when he never, he never told anyone? He just left Smyrna. And this, and this explains a lot of the phenomena which is going on today, which you see on the TV and etc. on these people who read minds. I mean, sometimes I watch these things in my mouth open and I just say, mm. it's just so stupid. But then I say, well, really, do people actually know? Do people actually know that the devil is a spirit? Do people actually know that the devil can inspire? You, people go to, what do you call those, clairvoyants, or they go to mediums, they might say something which is significant. And people say to me, oh, he knew. He knew that I live in a white house, or he knew or she knew that I've got a brother. And yes, and they go, how do they know that? I go, because the devil told them. It's very simple. And how does the devil tell them? He's a spirit. He puts thoughts into our minds. Like the angels can put thoughts into our minds, good thoughts. The devil can also put bad thoughts into our mind. And that's what explains a lot of these things. Or oh, these other things of, you know, ghost ghost chasers and they go to haunted houses and they get microphones and then they say and then they can hear because the because the um the human ear can't hear but the microphone's going to pick up the the ghosts the ghosts in the house so they've got these microphones and they're going like that and then all of a sudden they hear which could be a gas leak but of course it might be something else but they hear something and i would say they hear a sis or they hear a boom or they hear, I don't know what they hear, and they hear all these things, and from that, their conclusion is that it's a ghost. And sometimes it's not, because they're just looking for things, anything, which could be, a, as I said, it could be a leaking tap. But other times, it actually is a spirit. Well, not ghosts like they believe. It's demons who want people to believe these things. And I'll give you an example. The word lunatic, luna, comes from... The moon, Luna. And that's in the, in the Holy Fathers, and it says that every time the full moon would come out, people would become crazy. And that's where they got the word lunatic. Full moon, people would go mad. And from that, people made a conclusion that the moon is the cause, God's creation the moon, which is what the devil wants, the, the, the moon is a cause of people going crazy or possessed or whatever. And the fathers say, the, the church Orthodox fathers say, which we have to read in the lives of saints, etc., and say, the devil is the one who makes them go crazy so people can believe that it's that. And once you know even just that example, I think anything you watch on TV, anything that you, that you um, read... You understand it. UFOs, you know, like in India, they appear as flying cows because they've got an emphasis on their cows over there. It's holy. And in America, what's people got emphasis on? UFOs. And they go to another country, it will be something else. So the devil make appear. I don't know why the flying saucers don't appear in India, but only flying cows appear unless it's an unidentified flying cow. So it's a bit hard to understand what actually is going on? 
So in India, it's the cows. In America, it's the UFOs. And it's funny that in America was one of the biggest things there, which was this UFO that they said that happened. This, and then later on, we discovered that it was a, a just recently that it was finally let out that it was a some type of missile or some type of thing that had gone stray and it landed there. And because the government was too scared to tell the truth of the fact that they blundered, they didn't say anything. So meanwhile, everyone was flocking from all over the country to see this crater, and I don't know what it was, which was a UFO. So the demons play with people. And in many ways, and I would like to do a talk on that for hours. But I will... Um, I think that's enough for, for, for on that part for tonight, for you to keep to keep doing it. The more we know about orthodox spirituality, the more we'll see, and we'll see here. So, this monk, this off monk, had, be, had, had gone off. And there are also sometimes holy monks that can say things, because they're enlightened by God, but there could be holy, sorry, there could be um, uh, monks or um, nuns or um, priests, etc., who are saying things which they're not really getting from the Holy Spirit, but they're getting from the demons. So we can't just believe that because we go to a person and because they're a monk or because they're wearing black, and he goes, Yasu Yorgo, hello George, and they go, how did he know my name? He must be a saint. This shows that orthodox spirituality is really low lately, and people believe anything. We've got to be careful. And as St. John says, we have to test the spirits to see whether they are from God or not including myself, test me as well, and you must read and pray so you can see what I'm saying, whether it's right or wrong. So, so that's what, the, that's what the, um, that monk said. The evil one's aim was, from, was for the monk to reveal this publicly so the Turks would prevent the saint from reaching his goal. So he shouted out, oh, you're going to become a, a Christian so the others can hear it and grab him because it was really forbidden. It was law, no conversions. Someone could not from become a, from a Muslim to become an, a Christian. It was punishable by death. Those who changed or those who changed them. Constantine became so angry that he wanted to kill the monk. This is, what I'm, this is a temptation. This is all heat of the moment. That's why we should never, we should all, all of us, be careful of confrontations when things can become heated. Never trust yourself. Not to trust, I don't trust myself. You don't trust yourself. Don't go to situations because you don't know what might happen. You could become so angry, hit the person accidentally, he hits his head, manslaughter, things like that. You've got to never trust yourself because the demons are always there trying to spark off the situation, make sure that as much chaos can occur as possible. So he wanted to kill the monk. He had got that, he had become so enraged that the whole thing was like a, I, um, like all the demons were flying around on that day. And the, um, the devil, seeing that his plan had failed, hoped that the saint would at least be scandalized by the monk's evil deeds by saying, oh, is that what monks, so why should I go to Manathos? And because the priest's done that, the people say, oh, well, that means all priests are off. And because of this and that, you know, this is, this is excellent, this life of saying, because it shows that this Muslim who wanted to go to Manathos, which is full of monks, to be baptized, was confronted with this horrible monk who on purpose went and was, was shouting out in front of people, 
he wants to be a, a Christian. Now, a lot of people, because they're, they're, they're lukewarm or they haven't got proper, they go, oh, I'm not going to become now. But these temptations, what did God allow? Wouldn't God say to himself, if I allow this temptation, he might not become orthodox. So be it. That's the whole point. The whole point is that, we, that God does not make the road easy, but he wants to make it difficult to prove. When you see people like, um, I'll come to our church, and then the cup of teas, and the coffees, and the pamphlets, and then this, and then that. And then all these, the doors are open, you know, like a whole red carpet to invite you, etc. If those people convert to whatever religion they're going to, whether it's Jehovah's or whatever, they're only converting because they're feeling, you know, loved maybe, because no one else cares about them. There's a lot of reasons why people join religions. But in the Orthodox Church, when people join, they join with difficulty. And that's why the first three centuries of Christianity, where there was persecutions, who in their right mind would say, I want to become an Orthodox Christian, knowing they're going to be fed to the lions, or knowing they're going to be slaughtered, or have their heads cut off, etc. No one. But they did. Why? Because the love that they had for Christ was real. And that's why, because it was so real, they, they, um, they um, risked their, their lives. It wasn't a convenience to become Orthodox. Maybe when the Byzantine Empire, when, when Christianity became the public religion under Constantine and Justinian the Great and all that, maybe then, yes, there was conveniences of being an Orthodox Christian. That's why there was a lot of slackness and a lot of the saints, they couldn't take it and they left to the desert because they said it was too worldly. But in the first three centuries, as soon as you said, I want to be baptised, I want to be baptised, meant that you want to be killed, that you want to be tortured. And that's real. As much as it's real when people become orthodox in countries that are hostile to Christianity, like in Indonesia, etc., that I think is real. I don't know what convenience they're getting there. So Constantine did not become scandalised like many of us do, but he said, I'm going to go forward. Constantine became, on the... On the contrary, all these temptations only strengthen the saints' resolve to go to Mount Athos and be baptised. On arriving in Mount Athos, now we're going to see uh, something very surprising. And he first stayed at New Skeet. It's a, a little, it's like a little village where they've got one main church in the middle. They've got all little houses around. That's called a skeet. And each house has three, four, five monks living in them like a family. That's, that's called a skeet life. And the other one, which is called the Kinovio, which is like a common life, are the monasteries where everything's common, whatever he was like. And then they go every Sunday or feast day to the main church. But each house had their own church as well. But every Sunday or feast day, they would go to the main church and pray together. That's called a skeet. Each skeet belonged to a monastery. In this case, I think new skeet belonged to the monastery of St. Paul. So he opened his soul. He stayed there for 20 days and he opened his soul to one of the monks there. He told the monk that he was a Turk and that he fervently desired to be baptised. On hearing this, the monk consulted with the senior fathers of St. Paul's Monastery because, as I said, that skeet is a dependency of the Monastery of St. Paul. There are 20 monasteries in Mount Athos. Beautiful. 20 big, large um, monasteries. St. Paul's one of them. It's actually, I think, the last monastery along... You'll see if you look at a map. So... The fathers, knowing the dangers involved in baptising a Turk, ordered the monk immediately to expel the young man from the skeet and to send him to the great lava of St. Athanasius. 
So, compromise, it seems. Someone would say, oh, that's compromise. They're not real monks. Oh, they're not orthodox. They got scared. They should speak up and they should get him and baptize him straight away and not be scared of the Turks to come and blow up the whole monastery. But it's funny because he, because we hear Zealots say that. We have to do homologia. We have to confess this. We have to do that. Yes, that's true. But look at it in the context of the tradition of the church, the lives of saints. Why this peninsula, Manathos, which is full of holiness and icons and relics, and these monks were scared to baptize him because once the Turks found out, they knew that they would be killed and say, well, they're going to become martyrs. Yes, it's easy to say you're going to become a martyr. We don't throw ourselves. That's why we say in the Lord's Prayer, and lead us not into temptation. Someone can go on to Oxford Street during the gay, um, what do you call those things, that Mardi Gras, and stand there and go, homosexuality is a sin. And then pretty much um, think you probably will be run over or pulverised some, to some degree. But not many people do it. Why? Lead us not to, don't, you don't go and provoke temptations, even though some Christians did, as we'll see now, by special permission by God. And if you've got that special permission by God, which says to you to go to a mosque and confess that Christ is the only true God, then that's okay. And then we'll have a saint in, um, in Australia. But unless you're, you've got that calling, unless you are, your life is spiritual under guidance of spiritual fathers, etc., I would say that it's probably um, a fantasy similar to the other fantasies people have of, um, you know, Gilligan's Islands and cartoons and stupid other things like that because our minds are full of fantasy. So we read this. Some people might read this and go, oh, he confessed in front of, the, in front of them. I'll go and do the same as well, just like that, willy-nilly, just like that. But that's not how it works, as you'll see. So, nine o'clock. That's a finish. Um, so, the fathers, knowing the dangers involved in baptizing the Turk, ordered the monk immediately to expel the young monk, the young man, sorry, from the skit, and send him to the great lava of St. Athanasius. On hearing the decision, Constantine was terribly saddened. But in obedience, he... he um, he left the skeet. I love that. In obedience. Now that word, we're going we're gonna to notice that coming through this life continually. Obedience, obedience, obedience. Remember Saint uh, Simeon the Stiliti, I think the starlight, was up, was up on a tall tower. And he, that was his asceticism. He was up on the tower. People had never seen that before. No one had ever practiced that before. Even the Holy Fathers, the saints of the monasteries, the you know, the monks would say, what's that? Like who, what's this that he's actually living on top of this pillar? And that's where he was, day and night. Sun, rain, cold, he would be on that. They thought maybe he's gone crazy or that he's deceived. He, maybe they thought he, they could have been deceived. So what they did is they um, sent a delegation of monks, went to, to St. Simeon that was in, I think it was St. Simeon, I can't remember, I think it was, went to his tower and said that the Holy Fathers command you to come down 
and to stop this. Straight away, he started coming down. And I said, no, stop, go back. We know now that what you're doing is from God because the ones who do their own will and have a pisma, as we say in Greek, a stubbornness to do what they want to do, and even if it's good, like I knew a person who says, I'm going to become a monk, a, a nun. I want to be a nun. And she was stubborn. One could say, oh, she's so holy. Look at her resolve. And I would say, no, but she was told she can't become. And to stop it. But no, did she stop? No, that's not from God. So when St. Simeon started coming down, they knew that he's from God. Because if it wasn't from God, he would stop there and go, I'm an ascetic. I'm this and I'm that. I'm going to stay where I am. Obedience is holy and it's the indication that someone is leading a orthodox, a proper spiritual life. That's why we teach our children obedience. And on, the, on his way to the great lava, he encountered a thick fog. Again, by God's providence, he encountered this fog. He took the wrong path. And if you've been to Mount Athos, which I've been many, many times, uh, a wonderful experience. And he's got all these roads. He's got little signs, which most of the time the signs are been knocked over. So there's a narrow. You don't even know where it is. So you've got, you come to this part, and all of a sudden there's three paths. One, two, three. And the sign's on the ground. So where do you go? You do your cross, and you go wherever, wherever you go. And then sometimes you end up going somewhere. But by God's providence, that turned out good for the person that, that took that road. It was the wrong road. Could have been the wrong. This was God's providence because there he met an elder Gabriel to whom he opened his soul, expressing his desire for baptism. He, that was a capsule calivia, another skeet. So the first time he opened up his soul was in the new skeet, uh, some, some monk there. Now he's found another person, elder Gabriel, which he ended up there by, one can say by coincidence, maybe we can say better, God's providence. And he said to, the, to this elder, I want to be baptized. The, whole, the holy elder encouraged him and wanted to baptize him. The elder wanted to baptize him. But the fathers of the skeet did not give him permission. So why didn't the elder say, I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to do it anyway. Because the elder, Gabriel, was spiritual. And how do we know he's spiritual? Because he, he was obedient to the others that were there. Now, of course, there's satanic obedience, which we'll go on to later on. But now for the time being, I'm talking about real obedience. He was obedient to those in the skeet. He informed the saint of this. They said, I'm sorry, I can't do it. I'm not allowed to do it. Um, you know, we can say in inverted commas by these bad compromising monks because they, wouldn't, they were too scared to do the baptism. But we see that, we'll see later on that, that that's not true, that they were compromising, but everything's got a purpose. He informed the saint of this and advised him to proceed to the Lavra, which is the biggest monastery in Mount Athos, which is um, the other side where you've got Daphne and you've got... Um, anyway, it's at the end of the... Somewhere at the end there. It's a very long walk, which I've done that walk. Uh, it's a very, um, very beautiful walk along the sea. And there's saint, they're saying it's like a city with only a few monks because obviously... Um, monasticism has dropped a lot, but that must have held thousands of monks at one stage. It's really, really, a, it's a, like a city. And um, he went there, and on arriving at the Great Lava, Constantine expressed his desire for baptism to the confessor, to the spiritual father that confesses. 
who in turn sent the young man to Patriarch Gregory, who was then in exile at the Monastery of Iveron. Patriarch Gregory, I think, from what I've, what I've read, is it's Patriarch Gregory V, who also became a martyr under the Turks. He was in exile. The Turks often would depose the patriarchs because there was a practice in those days that to become a patriarch, you had to pay money. So the Turks, because they wanted the money, they would say to the patriarch, okay, six months out, who wants to become the highest bidder? And then the people would pay, then become that. That's forbidden by the church. Actually, says the canons, whoever does that is to be the defrocked and excommunicated, etc., etc. But yet, that's what happened. And the Orthodox did it. And everyone in the world knew that they were doing it. Other countries that were free. And no one cut off from them. It was just the circumstance. It's, it's bad, but that was the circumstance they lived under. So Patriarch Gregory V, the, a holy person, he was told, you go, you go to um, Iviron Monastery, to Manathos. They put someone else on. Paid money, and then someone else, and someone else, and someone else. Later on, you'll see that Patriarch Gregory later on became again Patriarch. Some became Patriarch two, three times. Depending on how much money they had. So it was very difficult under the Turks. We can sit and judge compromises. Oh, they're no good. Compromise. But we don't know. We're not living there. For, you know, like this, yeah, it's wrong by the canons, but I don't think we are in the position like um, a lot of Russians used to do um, when communism was very strong in, in Russia. And they used to judge the Orthodox Christians there that were under the Moscow Patriarchate and they would say, oh, they're, they're compromising and they're under them and they're under Antichrist. And it goes on and on and on and on. And they would say this while they're on their nice big lounge chairs watching their colour television with their remote controls and their nice cars. And they'd be judging and going, oh, they're compromised. They have to speak the truth. I remember once some presbytera, um, a priest's wife, and um, before I became a priest, I in my younger days, and um, she used to go on and on about that, used to go on and on about that the Orthodox Christians in Russia are compromising, that they're really bad, they shouldn't be part of the, the church there because the government was interfering in the church life, just like the Turks were interfering in the Greek Orthodox life. But of course, in Constantinople, but of course um, no one made another church. And remember the Turks, well they still got Constantinople, but the, 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 the Turkish Empire lasted, I think, 500 years in some countries. 500 years. And, and yet, they were, we, we got rid of them and the countries became orthodox again. So, you know, that was a miracle. 500 years of, of 400, 500 years of being under these people. The Presbyterian would say um, compromises and this and they're going to go to hell. And oh, I just couldn't believe it. And then I said to her, um, oh, does your... Does your husband, because I don't understand Russian, does your husband speak against uh, Masonism? Because I know Masonism is condemned by the church. Oh, no. That shut our church. So that's what's called confessors from the lounge chair. We confess the faith from the lounge chair as we're eating our cheesels and chips and salt and vinegars and all those type of things. And we, as we're holding our salt and vinegar, we go, they're compromising. So... That's what was happening. He was there in exile. So he's already been told from New Skeet to go to Lavra. And then from there he went to Capsul uh, Calivia Skeet. And then from Capsul Calivia he was told go, still go back, go to um, Lavra. Then from Lavra now he's been sent to Iviron, which is another monastery in Manathos. 
Now, this is very trite, and I'm sure a lot of people say, oh, this is ridiculous. I'm not going to become orthodox. This is too much. Just, you know, demonic monks on boats, and now we're going over here, and they're going here and there, and it's just too much. So, the, um, I'm expressing how people speak. The next day, uh, where are we? Funny. So, that night, while he was in Eviron, during the night, he continually cried and sobbed over his situation. He finally fell asleep and suddenly saw a very beautiful and elegant woman who told him to stop lamenting and return to Kapsukalivya. So now, the beautiful, elegant woman, obviously the mother of God, appeared to him and said to go back to Kapsukalivya. Now, apparitions, we have to be very, very careful with apparitions because... Um, I speak to a lot of people who, who see apparitions continually and um, after, you know, after they've, um, what is it again, that um, after they've watched Dance with the Stars or something like that, they go into their room and they see apparitions. So they could be watching that or they watch some other movies or watch some other shows and then suddenly they must be inspired by what they've watched and they go in and they watch visions. And we've got to be careful. Visions are for holy people. Not so, but he's not even baptized. Yeah, but he's, he's amongst people who will guide him. And the general rule is do not believe any vision at all. Even if you're the most spiritual person, especially in these days, do not believe visions. And a beautiful example is uh, was a holy person and he was in his... Kelly in his um, cell and suddenly a vision of Christ appeared and he turned around like that. He said, no. And he goes, but I'm Christ. And he goes, no, no. You must have been sent to the wrong person. It's not me. I'm not holy. Even though he was. I'm not holy. That, uh, and guess what? It was Christ. But Christ rewarded him for his humility and not trusting himself. In that case it was. Most of the times, 99.9% .9 of the time, these apparitions are demonic. And um, do not believe anything that you see, and especially dreams. You ignore dreams, except when the dream is to do with torments, tortures, about stopping your evil life, etc. St. John Climacus says, then you can take notice of it. But if it leads you into despair and depression, then ignore that as well. If it brings you to repentance, yes, that's about it. Apart from that, seeing things and this, and, and this is telling me that and that's telling me this, you ignore all of them if you do not want to fall into... Um, yeah, I saw a dream where my mother was sick and I was in a lot of despair of her sickness. She was becoming worse and worse and worse and worse. And I saw a dream. This is true. And the dream was, within my dream, that she got better. And I was rejoicing in the dream because I always wanted her to get better even though she had a horrible disease. I mean, a few months later, she passed away. So my dream obviously didn't come true. And, and I ignored it. But it was so real when I woke up. You do not trust in dreams because the demons work through the dreams and it's just our conscience and the day, what you've thought about, you know, you could think about your father that's passed away and suddenly in the dream you see him because you just thought about him during the day. It's in your memory. The mind's so complex. I mean, these psychiatrists that have been going on for centuries and centuries and centuries admit that they don't even know. They can't even say hardly anything. They've got all their little theories here and there which change, which change every few years, that theory. That. But 
but they can't keep up. It's too complex. The mind is very, very complex. I'm going to finish this paragraph and end. And I'm going to finish the life next time. Because I knew I wouldn't, I wouldn't finish it. Um, so he saw that dream. Now, this is interesting. He, where we are, he saw the dream. The Holy Elder rejoiced. Uh, ah, so he did. He went back to Kapsuka Livia. He didn't go to Viron Monastery, but he did what the dream told him. Go back, go to Kapsuka Livia, not to Viron. He went to Kapsuka Livia. Elder Gabriel heard. See, this Elder Gabriel becomes really part of his life, which shows the fog had a reason. The fog brought him to that skeet to meet this person because this person would help him all the way through. This was the person for him. This was God's person that was going to help this person, this, this saint. And all the Gabriel rejoiced in hearing about what, what happened and all that. And, this, um, and guess what he said? He said to him, uh, go to the monastery of Aviron and go and seek the counsel of Patriarch Gregory. Now, isn't that a bit strange? The mother of God, supposedly, that's what it seems like, appeared and said for him to come back to the skeet of Cups River. But Elder Gabriel saying, no, you will go to Eviron. You might say, does Elder Gabriel know more than the mother of God? And the answer is, for us, it's better to trust in them. Yes, not in the mother of God. Oh, blasphemy. That's blasphemous. Yes, because we do not have the discernment to know whether that apparition was true whether what was said was correct. Could it be? Could it not be? They weren't sure. God does not punish us. The mother of God will not punish us because we reject that we saw a dream. They actually are really, they, they, they want that because it means you don't trust yourself. And it's better to get guidance from humans and God seeing your humans that have got priesthood and God seeing your obedience and God seeing your humility, he will enlighten you and he will protect you. That's how obedience works. So Elder Gabriel, being a true obedient person, said, no, you will go to Eviron. Off he goes to Eviron Monastery where he meets with, the, with Patriarch Gregory V. And he told him all that had taken place. The discerning Patriarch decided to test the young man to determine whether his desire to be a Christian was true. Wasn't it enough? And all these things that happened to him enough? He got sick, and he was—he had the encounter with the with a horrible monk, and then he had um, other temptations that occurred. Isn't that enough for him? But no, the patriarch—he wanted to test him further, and this is what he said to him: "Why do you come to us? Why do you come to the to the um, Mount Athos? Seeing that we are deprived of everything, we don't have anything now because they live very poor. Are we not the most humbled among the nations, many as well the the Greek Empire in general?" On the contrary, you Muslims have all the authority, glory, and worldly power at the time which they did. How is it that you alone, how is it that all of a sudden you, one Muslim out of all these Muslims that seem to be happy with their religion, why are you coming wanting to become orthodox? Because not many of them did become orthodox. Uh, how is it that you alone are dissatisfied given that so many other desire the, the passing pleasures of this life? Why have you turned your back on them? Come to your senses. So Patriot said to him, come to your senses. What do you want to become orthodox for? You've got all that out there. You've got the sin, the pleasures, power. You could become, you know, you're a handsome young man. You can have uh, positions in the world and, and everything. 
Why do you want to become orthodox? That's a very, very big temptation. And the and St. Constantine didn't get up and hit him and didn't get up and go crazy. He just put his head down and was saddened at what the patriarch had said. And the patriarch saw that he didn't get aggressive. I want to be orthodox. I want to be, like I said before, they say, I want to be a monk or I want to be a nun or I want to do this and I want to do that. He didn't say that. He hung his head down, you know, like someone said, I want to become a priest. Mm. And someone might say to them to test, you know, maybe you're not really meant to become a priest. Yes, I do. I want to become a priest. See? So that type of spirit is already shown that person is not coming from the right direction. So this, 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 the saint put his head down and was very, very sad. And then he, um, the saint, uh, saint, saint um, Gregory, the fifth, said to him, no, no, it's okay. You know, we will baptize you. Go to, back to um, Capsuca Livia and I will come shortly to baptize you. You go there. So off he goes to, um, uh, before he left, he went to the Mother of God, Portaitisa, which is a very famous Orthodox icon of the Mother of God. Really big, beautiful, splendid icon, which I've had, a, you know, with God's grace, opportunity to venerate. It's miraculous icon. It came to Mount Athos on the sea because during the iconoclast period when they were destroying all the icons, that one came and stood in the middle of the ocean opposite the Viron Monastery and one of the elders went out um, and bought the icon. I think it was around the 9th century. It was during the persecutions of the, um, of the icons then and brought it in, that was, and that icon's been there. And it's a very, um, when there's a catastrophe going to occur, the candela, the moves, and many times when it's moved during the services, there's catastrophes that have occurred. I think earthquakes and other things like that have occurred when that happens in Greece and things like that. So it's uh, a lot of people come from everywhere to venerate that icon. And he venerated the icon and he prayed and he said, you know, sweetest mother of God, please, Help me to be baptized. I want to be baptized. I want to become an Orthodox Christian. And if you do give me this, I will come back and light a candle and, you know, and thank you, etc., etc. So that's what he did. And he left and he went to, um, back to um, the Cups of Calibre And that's what we're going to do. We're going to find out the rest of it in the next session, which is on the fourth session, which is June the 5th which is in one month time. We'll finish that life. I knew I wouldn't. I actually only got up to page. Oh, that's a bit difficult because it's actually 10 pages and I just finished three pages. So I've got a bit of a problem of talking too much. So two more sessions and we'll see. Now, I have photocopied for you here a, a handout which is The Spiritual Value of Reading the Lives of Saints. Excellent article. And then the next article is um, Saints for People Just Like Ourselves. Are We Striving to Be Like the Saints? That's an excellent article. And at the end we have the commemoration of different saints, you know, for headaches, St. John the Baptist, and oh, deliverance from torment of those who die without repentance. St. Paisius the Great. Um, he especially prayed to be able to have power to help those who died without repentance. He couldn't cope with the fact that people died without repentance and went to hell. And he asked God to give him some type of grace to be able to help those people. What happens, we don't know exactly, but St. Antipas for teeth, etc., etc. And that's that there. And you are welcome to...
to take that. Whoever's new and wants a Bible can take a Bible. So, are there any questions before we end? Or did I answer everything? That means you were a good speaker. Sorry? That means you were a good speaker. I was a good speaker. Well, let's hope. If people come to repentance, then no I'm happy. If people were helped, then I'm happy because that's the purpose. I'm not here for my own glory. I'm here to, and these, through these tapes, for people just to hear, even to hear, if someone hears the next two, God willing, when the next two come out of St. Constantine, if someone hears a thing about those demonic visions and things like that, and just learn and not believe everything they see on TV, that's a great thing. People going to seance, I just, just I cannot, one day I would like to speak on it. If you can turn me off, because I'll just keep on going and going and going and going about everything that I can think of about that thing. And it's just really sad that people are being deceived. You know, there's this guy who says, oh, he can read and he knows this. I don't know. John Edwards, I think his name is. You know, and people say he gets things correct. And he does get things correct. That's okay. But then that's not um, clairvoyance like the saints said. That's just, you know, the, the demons working through people can work. Does that, does that mean he's possessed? I'm not saying he's possessed. What I'm saying is the demons can work through people and say things. Some people are naturally... A, Attuned to spiritual spirits, to, to, to spirits. Okay, any any questions? One question. Yes. You're not going to participate, you know, you're not going to, if I ask you, do you agree with it, you say no, but you don't have to go and start, you know, like um, badgering them. I don't think it's necessary because it depends on their background, where they're coming from, are they orthodox, they're not orthodox. Um, they're used to it anyway, people all the time badger them and they don't like it, you know. Some parents cut them off and if one turns out to be gay, so they'll cut them off, but then the other guy who's fornicating with everyone and... Um, beats his wife or whatever, you know, they're all right, they're friends. And the, and the gay guy looking at that says it's really, like, horrible. And it makes him become more in to stay in that what he's doing, you know. And it's just, it's like, if you're going to be righteous, you're going to say to the one person what you're doing is wrong, and you say to him what you're doing is wrong. But if you're only going to say to the gay person what you're doing is wrong, but you say to the other person nothing at all, then that's not really right, and you're making them worse. Now, with the dealings in the Bible, it says in the New Testament, and we see from here, but Orthodox didn't go up to Turks continually and say, uh, Christianity is the true Christian. They never did that. Actually, they didn't say hardly anything. But the Turks seen the Orthodox life of the people and their piety. They used to come. So a lot of times it's example. If they ask us, like if someone says to me, like sometimes you go into a fruit shop and you might see a Catholic. They might say, oh, Father, we are all the same. He's making a statement. I don't answer. I don't answer because he didn't ask me, are we all the same? He said, we are all the same. If he asked me, are we all the same? I go, no, we're not all the same. Because he asked me. If I didn't ask me, I'm not going to say it. Well, I'm going to sit down and start calling these people that have been brought up in Orthodox Christianity, uh, in Catholic Catholicism. You know, the time's got to be right. That's what happened here. The time's got to be right. 
and it's not good to interfere. And I think that's why St. Paul says, don't judge those that are outside. Leave them alone, like those who are outside the church. All the instructions that the St. Paul and St. John give them, they're, they're centred at Christians. That's what they're, 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 they're talking. not to the others. And that's why St. Paul says, don't judge them that are outside, meaning outside the church. Just, that's not our business to judge them on their, they'll be judged according to their conscience. You can help someone if they're asking you, but you don't just go up and, you know, like the Jehovah's or other people and go up and throw, you know, Bibles and lives of saints down their throats. That's just um, ridiculous. Next, is that it? I don't mean you're ridiculous. Sorry, I mean, the, uh, the, that's not what you're asking, but um, people who do that, to me, is not right. Yes? I think you remove yourself. You remove yourself. And instead of, you know, saying that, um, start to go against, it just causes more problems. Just remove yourself. They never asked you your opinion. I don't think they're even interested. We're too busy with ourselves to actually worry about that. doesn't mean that we hate them. And, you know, they might actually be judged less than us because we don't know what their conscience, do they know what they're doing is wrong? How much does their conscience bother them? Some of them don't even know what they're doing is wrong. Doesn't mean they're going to be saved. It's not in my business. I, I don't know. I don't know how God is. We will be surprised. We don't know nothing about what's happening on the end day. All we know is we are orthodox. We do not practice that. We are orthodox. We don't do that. That's what we know. Do not do abortions. We don't do that. We don't do this. We don't do that. That We know that. As for the others, leave them in God's hand. If they ask us, we try and help them.